Listener Production. That is the sound of the free Britney supporters on the streets of LA on Friday, Californian time, celebrating the news that Britney Spears was finally free of the conservatorship, where her father controlled almost every aspect of her life for 13 years. Yeah, so this story, which maybe would have been filed under celebrity gossip, became a lot more serious when the world found out how much this legal arrangement limited her life and even, Tom, her fertility. It became the focus of three big documentaries and then a court case, which finally handed down the verdict on Friday, the judge ruling that the conservatorship is no longer required. Brittany, as of today, is a free woman and she's an independent woman and the rest with her support system will be up to Brittany. So that's her lawyer, Matthew Rosengart, speaking straight after the decision was handed down. So how did this 13-year-long conservatorship come to an end? And what happens next for Britney Spears? That is our briefing topic in the second half of this episode. It is Tuesday, the 16th of November. I'm Katrina Blowers. And I am Tom Tilley. Now, before we get into the Britney briefing, here are the big headlines of today. The Prime Minister has promised a long future for the coal industry in Australia as he continues an election-style campaign around the country. So on that tour, he was asked whether he believed the recent COP26 in Glasgow had sounded the death knell on coal, as Boris Johnson had concluded. Morrison said this. Well, I believe it did, and, and for all of those who are working in that industry in Australia, they'll continue to be working in that industry for decades to come. So this comes just a few days after the Glasgow Climate Summit finalised a statement that we're a party to, which is a phase down of unabated coal power and inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. Yeah, so we signed up to that, but it seems to be in direct contrast to what the Prime Minister is saying now that he's home and visiting electorates ahead of an election, which will most likely be early next year. Yeah, I guess it's all what phase down as opposed to what phase out means. And Mm. gosh, a phase down that takes decades is certainly something very interesting. And anyone outside of WA who is hoping to get across the border in time for the ashes will be disappointed. I guess that would include the Barmy Army. Um, (laughs) So the Premier, Mark McGowan, has shut down a suggestion from the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, that the state might reopen the border earlier than planned. I've never met Greg Hunt. I've never spoken to Greg Hunt. I wouldn't know him if I met him. Um, He's got a very vivid imagination. (laughs) There you go. Bit of a smackdown there. Hit him Uh, for six, pardon the pun. Oh, McGowan was responding to Greg Hunt's comments over the weekend where he said he'd heard WA was bringing forward its plan to open borders before the beginning of the fifth Ashes test, which is on January 14. Yeah, but of course McGowan is standing firm on his plan, so they don't plan to open the border until the state hits 90% double dose of 12 and over. So it's a very high standard and it's not expected to happen until late January or early February at the earliest. The Victorian government has made last-minute changes to a proposed new pandemic law. That's the law which sparked big protests over the weekend. So under this bill, the power to declare a pandemic will be transferred from the Chief Health Officer, and that's been Brett Sutton. Now it'll be um, under the power of the Premier and the Health Minister, and it includes also tougher penalties for breaching health orders. 
So the government has now agreed to halve fines for breaching orders and release the public health advice behind pandemic decisions sooner as they try to get this bill through state parliament. Yeah, clearly a very controversial bill. Um, It sparked Mm. those massive protests of thousands of people on the streets of Melbourne on Saturday. Some of those scenes were pretty ugly. Uh, There's been a big group of Victorian lawyers who've signed a letter raising issues with the bill, so clearly it's causing some serious consternation in Victoria. Donald Trump's former adviser Steve Bannon has been taken into custody after handing himself in to the FBI. So he surrendered to officials at the FBI's Washington DC office this morning. That's after being charged with contempt for refusing to give evidence at a congressional inquiry into the Capitol Hill riot on January 6. Yeah, so you might remember that uh, Bannon made some public statements, including on his own podcast, which indicate that he knew in advance about extreme events that would occur in the White House on January 5, which Mm. was a day before that riot happened. Uh, He said on his podcast that all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. And it did. So, yeah, it's really interesting how this is playing out. Bannon was a really big figure in Trump coming to power in 2016. He was the chief architect of his campaign and then came into the White House as the chief strategist. Um, Now he could face up to a year in prison or a $100,000 fine. And he's not the only person connected to Trump who's gotten into trouble in the last few years. Yeah, so according to CNN, these latest charges against Bannon uh, add to a long list. Ten other former Trump aides or associates have also been charged. A number of these men were pardoned by Trump before he left office. Yeah, and two of them did um, substantial jail time. Um, Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, and campaign manager, Paul Manafort. So, yeah, it's been... um An untidy legacy, to put it politely. And hundreds of police are today continuing what they're calling a high-intensity search on the New South Wales mid-north coast in the hope of finally closing the case of missing boy William Tyrrell. It's highly likely that if we found something, it would be a body. We are looking for the remains of William Tyrrell. There's no doubt about that. Wow. This is a huge revelation. So that's Detective Chief Superintendent Darren Bennett speaking there. The three-year-old disappeared in 2014. Yeah. So seven years ago. This just breaks my heart, this story, and where they're searching um, with, they're expected to um, need to excavate, and it's near a creek, and it's less than a kilometre from where he went missing. So despite multiple searches over that time, Tom, since 2014, hundreds of suspects, so many people questioned over this, even a $1 million reward, they've never been able to find that little boy. Yeah, and the other piece of news that came out yesterday was the New South Wales police reportedly set to take out an apprehended violence order against William Tyrrell's foster parents. So that's another very interesting development on this case. Okay, right after this message, uh, how the Free Britney movement got what they wanted. Free Britney 102, where we explore issues related to the Free Britney movement. The Free Britney movement is advocating for the end of Britney Spears' conservatorship. But a functioning woman that's been working non-stop, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Dear Britney, my name is Elizabeth Dunan, and I'm 29 years old. My name is James Miller. Dear Britney. Dear Britney. Dear Britney. I'm 
so nervous. I'm like sweating. Your whole situation is consuming me now. I can't believe that it's just been this long and I, I didn't know. I think so many of us didn't know. That is the trailer of Framing Britney Spears we just heard then. That's the first big doco to put the spotlight on the free Britney movement. That New York Times doco came out in February. Then there was a follow-up documentary on Hulu called Controlling Britney Spears. And then a Netflix doco also came out in September called Britney versus Spears. And I think that shows just how big this story became. Those are the free Britney fans celebrating what they called Freedom Day over the weekend. Clearly, this story hit a massive turning point with the court decision to end the conservatorship on Friday. So the decision by the judge means that after 13 years, her father, Jamie, will no longer control her 60 million US dollar fortune, her ability to perform, or even if she wants to have a baby or not. Mm, Yeah, that's something she said she's wanted to do. So what is next for Britney Spears? To find out where her story will go next and how this final court decision came to be, we have veteran entertainment reporter from Channel 10, Angela Bishop, who's been following this since the beginning. Angela, as an entertainment reporter and a fan, what was your reaction to the big decision in court on Friday? Relief, I think, is the fundamental reaction that any woman of 39 years of age to have lived under the condition she has for nearly 14 years in a modern country like the United States of America is shocking, to say the very least. Her fans were calling it Freedom Day. There were celebrations in the street. When did this Free Britney movement start? It interestingly started a few years ago when she cancelled a residency in Vegas, citing her uh, father's ill health. And fans began to question whether she was in fact in control of what she was allowed to do or not. This sort of momentum began to build into the Free Britney movement and they were just questioning her life and how much of it was controlled by this conservatorship and why and whether there was any wrongdoing toward her occurring. So literally when this occurred on Saturday Our Time, The fans who you saw in all the videos jubilantly celebrating and firing lots of pink confetti into the air Mm. had every reason to be there and be celebrating because it would not have happened without them. I mean, that is absolutely true. The fans were even mentioned in court filings to the Los Angeles Superior Court. Brittany's lawyer, Matthew Rosengard, citing the movement of the fans and various claims from the fans as being pivotal in getting to this point where she has been freed from the conservatorship. Talk us through the legal case that's played out to this decision on Friday, Californian time. What were the key turning points? Without a doubt, the initial key turning point, which was just five months ago, so consider how quickly this has all happened in respect of the the 14 year, the nearly 14 years she's been under this conservatorship. But it was just five months ago when uh, Brittany made a video call into the court, which we've subsequently all heard, and it was harrowing to listen to. The fact that a 39-year-old woman was not in charge of her own reproductive situation, the fact that the conservatorship was not allowing her, as she claimed, was not allowing her to have her IUD removed. So she couldn't marry, she couldn't have children if she wanted. These claims that uh, if she objected to doing things, she was drugged because audio of those video calls was leaked. We could actually hear the despair in her voice. But what I think happened from there, the absolute key point was for the 13 years up until then, her lawyer had been appointed by 
Jamie Spears, had been appointed by the Conservatives. So no matter it seemed what she asked her lawyer to do, it never happened. Mm. And it wasn't until Judge Penny in the Los Angeles Superior Court said, right, you can appoint your own lawyer, and she was able to appoint Matthew Rosengart, that things just started changing really rapidly. So the things we saw then were, first of all, he said, we're going to get Jamie Spears off this conservatorship. That He came outside court and said, I'm going to get this man off the conservatorship. And within, you know, by September that had happened. Jamie had walked away saying this was in the best interests of his daughter now, but there's no doubt he wasn't going to do that until Matthew Rosengart started uh, putting the thumbscrews on in Well, court. apparently she didn't even know that she could file to end the conservatorship. So that shows how much the information she was getting was limited. It would appear that her lawyer did not seem to be fully apprising her of her options, Mm. put it in, let's put it (laughs) sort of in those sort of terms. She was living on an allowance. This is a girl who has built a fortune based on her talent of more than $60 million. And she was given $2,000 a week to live on. And her her father was putting $16,000 a month through just in expenses, let alone in salaries. And this has been demonstrated by these fantastic documentaries, which we've seen, particularly those by the New York Times, uncovering evidence and allegations that there was a, a bug placed in her bedroom, an audio bug, that her entire communications on her mobile phone were mirrored and were monitored by her father and others in the conservatorship. This sort of stuff is, you can't imagine that's going on in a country like America. So Ange, from the perspective of Jamie Spears though, you know, his daughter Brittany had a really public breakdown in 2007. We, we all saw the pictures that came from that. She then lost custody of her children. She had some ongoing mental health issues. He recently released a statement through his lawyer saying that he helped Brittany re-establish her career after that. He also helped her reconnect with her kids. And he said anyone who's tried to help a family member deal with mental health issues knows the daily work and the worry that this requires. Do you reckon on some level he's been unfairly painted as the villain here? He's a dad trying to help his daughter. There is no doubt that some intervention was required to help her. There is no doubt about it. She was obviously troubled. And we've now seen that that was not helped at all by the actions of the media and their commentary on the situation. And I think we all feel a little complicit in that, looking back on how it was covered and so forth. This was a woman breaking down in the full glare of the world's media. And the world's media's response was not to care, but was to poke fun. Looking back on those days is devastating to say the least. So there is no doubt some intervention was required at that stage. First and foremost, to protect her mental well-being, and secondly, to protect her fortune. You could argue that some intervention was required at that initial emergency stage. It is very hard to argue that those same drastic measures still needed to be in place 13, 14 years later. Very hard to argue. Are you confident she's definitely dealt with those problems that started this whole arrangement? What are you sort of seeing in the way that she's handled her recent appearances, um, her recent decisions, and how do you think that reflects on how she might move forward? We can't know. Because we've seen snapshots of her as filtered through social media. And that's not our whole picture, shall we say. Mm. We do know she's engaged. We do know she's designing a wedding dress with Donatella Versace. So personal happiness seems to be something that's on the agenda. 
which is great. Mm. What makes me feel confident in the other areas you mentioned is Matthew Rosengart's statements outside court immediately after the conservatorship was declared terminated. And that was, he said he has a financial safety net in place legally for both the estate and the personal effects of Britney Spears. He seems to be indicating that her financial estate is going to be monitored and looked after, which I think is great because that protects her assets and protects her welfare in that respect. And so as she does marry Sam Ascari, interestingly, a profile on him's just appeared in the New York Times. We don't sort of know that. too much about him. And well, it now doesn't actually he... shed much more light on him <laughs> either. He's still a man of mystery. But we do know he aims to be an actor and a stunt person. You know, he appeared in Hacks, the HBO series, and um, he's coming up in Mel Gibson's new movie, which is uh, revealed in that. And um, a prenup's probably not a bad plan, you know, let's let's say in this day let's and age. Hope so. <laughs> you know, and it sounds though, Matthew Rosengart, in conference with his client, is looking out for these things. And I think that that is a good sign. This lawyer seems to have his head screwed on, right? That's all I can say. He seems to know what is needed legally to happen to get her out of this conservatorship, but he's not going to let her just run to the wind. He's going to make sure that there's, you know, good managers in place to guide the next step of her professional life. So the questions we all want answered, will she tour again? Will she tour to Australia? And will she have a baby? I'd say touring would be a way off. And certainly what I've been reading from people who have been following the case for a long time, I think new music's not out of the question. That's something, you know, she could be reaching out to writers right away. She has a story to tell to express musically what she's been through Mm. in the last 13 years would be something to behold. That's at heart who she is and she can tell her story musically. The gruelling nature of a tour, in particular a worldwide tour, particularly with all the pressure that would be on her now and the level of expectation, I would hope that those around her would be very mindful of not going into that too quickly. But new music, I think that'd be sensational. And hey, she should definitely be able to have a baby if that's what she wants. Mm -hmm. In the world of celebrity, it's just the most unique and ridiculous situation I've ever come across. That's entertainment reporter Angela Bishop from Network 10. And I guess, Tom, the next logical step here whenever there's a big story like this is that You have a big sit-down interview that's Mm. very well paid, a big tell-all. But I think in this case, because Brittany has only given us breadcrumbs on social media, she's really kept that intrigue going and she's been able to control the way that she tells her story. Her best step, I think, from here is to say it all musically in an album. Can you imagine how highly anticipated that release would be and how much money she'd make from that? Yeah, and I think it might even be better for her well-being. I think a television interview could be really gruelling. I mean, I'd hate Mm. to see just a poorly considered video on social media or even, as Angela Bishop was saying, a tour that was too demanding on her and maybe sort of pushed her to the limit. So to get into the studio, take your time, as you say, pour it into the music for a world that's waiting to hear her reaction could be an amazing way forward. Tomorrow on The Briefing, how the pandemic has changed the world's oldest profession. Listener.